Hello, welcome to Scott's Movie Pod, until I think of a better name, which I probably will never do. Uh, we are here to discuss the movies that we love, for better or worse, and the reasons why we love them. We're taking a slight departure from our regularly scheduled program because I want to start talking about something near and dear to my heart, filmmaking, and the whole process itself. As a filmmaker, it's important to kind of go over the different reasons why people make movies and what we love about making movies. And in general, it's just fun to discuss all the things that go into making these movies happen. Uh, in doing so, I have a team here today, a production team, and they're going to be talking all about the process that has gone on in creating this project so far and more or less their experience in doing so and what they recommend to anybody out there who's trying to do the same. Without further ado, today I have on the show a production team that is working on an indie film that they are really excited about. It's called Sunny Boy and I'm going to have everybody from that team go ahead and introduce themselves now. Let's start with, uh, I'll go from my perspective on our meeting here. Uh, top left, Heather, go ahead. Hi, I'm Heather Brawley and I'm one of the producers of Sunny Boy. All right, then we got next up Antonio. Hi, my name is Antonio Ayala. I'm also one of the producers for Sunny Boy. Next up, Kristen. Hi, I'm Kristen Hansen. I'm the director of Sunny Boy. And we've got Nick. Hi, I'm Nick Macron, and I am the writer and uh, lead actor of Sunny Boy. Welcome, everybody. Glad to have you on the show. Really excited to talk about your project and obviously all the ins and outs of how it all came together and uh, all that good stuff. Um, first, just in general, how's everybody doing? We having a good day so far? How's life treating all of you? Doing well, beautiful day, can't complain. So yeah. far so good and uh, best as possible <laughs> in the middle of COVID times and whatnot too, but finally starting to get back to our uh, creative uh, process and stuff too, so it's exciting. Definitely, definitely. Well. All right, then let's dive right into this whole thing here. So Sunny Boy, um, project in general, obviously there's a lot of different ways they can get started or kickstarted. Usually at the end of the day though, it's gonna come from the idea and how the project originated and the whole writing of that idea. So I do wanna start with the writing process. Can we hear the log line for Sunny Boy? Yeah, sure. So uh, Sonny Boy is about a failed playwright who returns home to reconcile with his dying father. Awesome, and, awesome. Uh, sort of the inception of it, if, if I think that was the, sort of the second part of the question was, um, you know, Scott, I would say that this was sort of written out of creative desperation, if there's such a thing. Um, really quickly, I, uh, like many, I was an actor in New York and Los Angeles uh, for, for several years. And after a while, I just kind of felt like I was spinning my wheels and uh, felt like I needed a change. And wasn't quite sure where that was or what coast that would take me to if I would return back to Oakland or stay in New York, where I thought uh, I might live for the rest of my life. And, and then I got uh, sort of a, uh, uh, an unfortunate phone call. Um, so I, a lot of people get that phone call. You can almost tell by the way the phone rings, it's bad news. And I sort of sensed that, uh, that one afternoon when I was walking around. And uh, um, I was told that my, my aunt had a rare type of cancer. And uh, just to give a little context, my aunt has lived with us since uh, I was a senior in high school. So she's almost like a second mother. Um, and so I decided to come back to Oakland, which is where I was raised. And uh, I just, I started to think broader picture and, and there was more to being a son and a nephew than a 10 minute phone call every Sunday. So I thought I'd, I'd come home and that was very difficult because I've been away for so long. And, and, and Scott, I don't know if you spend any time in the Bay Area or, or Oakland specifically, but 
Uh, it's changed tremendously. Uh, I would say two steps forward, one step back. There's been a lot of wonderful changes, but it's also come at a tremendous cost. Yeah. Uh, and so when I came back, um, I quite literally didn't recognize some of the places that I, you know, that where I was, uh, where I was standing. I felt like I'd landed on the moon. Um, there were lots of places that were once pretty reliable hubs for trouble that were now um, teeming with uh, $6 artisan coffee shops and bike lanes and juice bars. And I was really having a difficult time trying to get my footing in a place that I thought I knew, but it kind of moved on without me. And so I had real trouble finding work and identity and um, really as a way to sort of ease my loneliness, I, I, I wrote this piece just to sort of save my soul. And then uh, it gradually involved, it started off as a really terrible web series and then it gradually became a really bad screenplay. And then over time with the help of Heather and Antonio and Kristen and many, many others, it, uh, it gradually became uh, a stronger screenplay. Awesome. I mean, that is a, that is definitely an origin story that I can commiserate with for sure. I think we've all kind of been there where you uh, sort of create an idea from the ground up. It starts as a web series and it sort of develops its way forward. That's, yeah, that's uh yeah, very, very familiar, very familiar. And as far as Oakland goes, I have spent some time there, not like extended time, but uh, I do like the Bay area and Oakland in general. It's uh been really fun to visit over the years but that's been the wild thing is just seeing how much everything changes and that's like true here too i've lived here almost my whole life uh as an la native and so i've gotten to see how things have changed and it's pretty strange it's pretty strange even when it's you're actually there to witness it happening so kind of feeling like you're a stranger in a place that you used to call your home is definitely a familiar feeling and uh really a great sort of story angle to tackle in general because i think that's something that uh, a lot of us can can resonate with. Um, that sort of answers why this story and, you know, what does it mean? But uh, what does it mean to everybody else that's involved, the rest of you? If we hear Nick, I, I understand <laughs> how, what it means to him, but what about the rest of you? Uh, I'll go with that, actually. Um, I was, I was uh, fortunate and I had the honor of knowing Nick um, many years ago. Sorry, there's a leaf blower too in the background if it gets a little obnoxious um but I met Nick in oh gosh 2007 we were in a program called the Guthrie Experience and we 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 bonded and were friends and and then we can you know kept in touch after after school and after graduate school and he came to me you know I was started directing and he started writing and he came to me kind of almost I wouldn't say out of the blue but it could be equivalent to that. And he said, I've, I've been writing and uh, I was really um, excited to, to hear his ideas. And uh, I had gone through a similar experience um, moving back home uh, if, with, uh, to a father who was passed of cancer. So when he shared the, the story and the metaphors and everything, I was just like, well, I'm, I know this, you know, I know this feeling um, tremendously. And for me, it had to, it was also a story to tell, uh, you know, for my father and for myself and what it uh, means to be um, an artist, evolving artist, I think, and realizing um, uh, potential, lost potential, the, the change that we have to go through. And I think that resonates with a lot of people. And so for me, that's why it was really important. Um, and also to be, you know, my first feature film to direct. So, yeah. Very exciting. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, um, 
you know, filmmaking is about telling stories that matter with people that you like. And those are kind of the two most important parts of it to me. So there's a lot of the, the stories that matter part that's important. They're showing diversity, they're showing Oakland. A lot of that matters to me and making something that people can relate to. And I think that one thing that's really unique about this story, you see a lot of stories like this, you know, somebody moving home and feeling lost, but it's being told about like a 25 year old. And I think something that really sets Sunny Boy aside is it's, it's realistic. It's really showing somebody nearing 40 which is really when, when those feelings hit strong, right? And I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to is showing that at kind of that more, you know, mid, midlife range as opposed to quarter life, whatever it's called these days. Um, sure, yeah. And of course, the, you know, making it with people that, that matter to you. And we have such an amazing team the three that are here with me and our extended team, everybody's so incredible. And all of those things combined is why this matters to me. Awesome. Okay, cool. Well, I'm a producer, so I'm just here to make money, but I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm really echoing what everybody else said and whatnot too. I mean, you know, um, at the end of the day, you want to uh, create a project with people who have that same type of uh, creative endeavor. And I mean, I will say that this group that I, uh, we have here, we're all very fortunate to um, have a lot of different um, uh, plethora of knowledge from different aspects of the industry and whatnot too. And I think we all really help complement each other. And uh, just personally too, uh, I mean, I uh, was born and raised in uh, the San Francisco Bay area, but uh, my dad is actually from New York. And I spent a lot of my life ever since I was eight years old, actually, uh, going back and forth between New York and California. And uh, I kind of had a similar experience after grad school, kind of moving back um, uh, somewhat tail between the legs and whatnot, too. But, you know, whenever you're moving away from a big city like New York and whatnot. But uh, I think that it uh, resonates with a lot of different people who are at that point in their lives. And uh, I think this is a really important story to tell, especially uh, amongst the backdrop of um, a city like Oakland and a uh, team as diverse as we are. Hmm. Yeah, fair enough. So that's a good way to look at it for sure. I think that makes sense. Um, it sounds like everybody here really, really is like stoked on this project and happy to be part of the team. And I think something that definitely has been a through line of just the podcast in general with most of my guests, which I'm fortunate for, is just we tend to agree with that same message of like doing something you love and care about and like making something you care about with the people you care about. And especially in the context of seeing film as something that's like eh, what should be some kind of on some level emotionally engaging experience that makes you or transports you to a place that you can experience that might be different from your current reality and give you something fun or new to mull over, think about, love, et cetera. So creating that experience is like a really big deal and obviously a big part of why we all do this. Um, so let's talk more about you, the crew, uh, how we talked a little bit of how you kind of like what it means to you, but how did you all directly get involved? Obviously, Kristen, you kind of like, ran into Nick and you guys talked about the project, but how did everybody else get involved with this too? Like how, who came on next and what was, what was that like? Whoever wants to feel that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Nick came to me and um, I thought, you know, is it um, was, was a really 
good script. Uh, we both talked about it, you know, needing work. And uh, it's funny, Nick and I, you know, I was a little bit green at the time coming off some, you know, awards for some film, some films. And I was just like, yeah, you know, we can shoot this for 60,000. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and so I was like, well, let me get a second opinion about that. And so I contacted Heather, who I've known from a, a web series I was working on at the time. And that's how she got involved. And so the nice. three of us then, yeah. And then Antonio came on. And if anybody wants to add to my story, please do. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So Kristen brought me on and I talked to Nick and we talked so long that first night. I can't remember how long, but we just really vibed. And, you know, we're both from the Bay Area. We're both from Oakland, the same part of Oakland. And we had a lot to talk about, you know, and we really connected. And uh, yeah, Kristen brought on myself and Katie Oliver, our co-producer, Christy Munoz, an associate producer, Pete Howell, our DP. Um, and then we ended up finding Antonio, which was amazing. We needed, you know, we needed a producer who was on the ground in the Bay Area. And, and that was really what we were missing. I am from Oakland, but um, I live like Kristen. I live in L.A. So right. we needed somebody on the ground. And thank goodness we looked because we found Antonio, who's amazing, an amazing um, addition to our team. And he brought on some amazing people as well. Matt Stoner, our EP, Stefania. Pierucci, our EP, Norma Lopez, our associate producer, Kristen Barrett, our line producer, David Bernstein, our script supervisor, really some amazing, amazing people. And we, we I mean, for, for a film that was in its very, very, very early days, we had already put together an incredible team with a wide array of knowledge. Yeah, that sounds like a really good, like you got a lot of the important positions filled, it sounds like. And that's one thing that, uh, you know, maybe a lot of people listening some people I know listening to my podcast do know all about the process and a lot of people don't, which is part of why this is fun to talk about, but just all those different positions are way more necessary than people think they are. And a lot of the time they get overlooked and that is usually why shorts and or indie features run themselves into the ground or don't quite do quite as well is uh, just trying to cut corners where you really shouldn't and that's, that's super important not to do <laughs> as yeah. an aside. We were also really lucky. I mean, talk about in terms of pulling a team together. We found an amazing production designer named Doug Freeman. He's an award-winning production designer. He was the, he worked on American Graffiti. I mean, he oh, has wow. been around a long time yeah. doing some amazing things. Um, we found an, a consulting producer named Andy McCaffrey, who's been in the industry over 30 years, worked on crazy number of projects um and we partnered with you know the only commercial uh lighting and grip rental house in san francisco um oh, little giant lighting and grip and and we've gotten a bunch of our crew from them as well so it's really it, you know you can't say enough about how strong our team is that we've put together i know we're, i'm tooting our horn a little bit but it's pretty awesome hey no you know you gotta you gotta take those wins if you've got a good crew you want to you want to flaunt that proudly especially yeah. when when the project is going to be really good which it sounds like it will be like only because of what i've heard about it so far do i feel that way but it all the passion <laughs> that i'm getting from like this conversation from everybody so far 
makes me feel like this is going to be important. And obviously we wouldn't be having this conversation at all if you guys weren't as invested in this as, as you are. So thank you, thank um, you so much. And I think it's really important. Um, that's something that uh, we try and do as a team too, is really make sure that everybody's involved from the get-go and whatnot too. I mean, we've gotten a lot of great feedback from all of our heads of departments and mm. uh, just as an indie crew in general, I mean, you know, it's a big world out there, but it's, it's a small world and whatnot too, especially amongst the Bay Area and everything too. And I think it's really important to uh, make sure that everybody uh, feels like they have that type of creative input because what I might not think about as a producer, um, uh, Kristen will think about as a director or um, Doug might think about as a production designer and uh, all of uh, us really being able to put our heads together really helps uh, execute a good project and whatnot too. I mean, uh, we mentioned uh, Doug Freeman who's done you know, things ever since American Graffiti. He said that it was his very first gig and the main production designer, um, uh, something happened to, to him, uh, I believe a week before set. So he stepped in, became the production designer for that. And that's kind of how the world happens in the film industry sometimes and whatnot too. I mean, I've uh, been fortunate to produce one feature, but that is very little amongst, um, uh, you know, some people's repertoire and whatnot too. And really going on a journey of uh, making a feature film like this, you have to be comfortable uh, with uh, your crew and everything too. And I, I think that we're all ready to uh, hop into this here. Very much. That's actually a really good point to emphasize too. Um, as I'm sure you all have been on crews, I know I have where people don't quite get along and things never go quite as smooth or there's day one issues that could have been resolved, but nobody wanted to talk them out and they just persisted throughout the whole shoot. Uh, I've been on a few of those. Those are really unfortunate. It cannot be stressed enough how important it is to really have a good team and also be able to mesh and collaborate with your team because film is such a collaborative process, as you all know. Um, but for people listening, we've talked about this in various episodes here and there, but literally, if you are collaborating with a bunch of people, you need to be able to have that creative input there because even if somebody has an idea that doesn't maybe fit the story, just like Antonio said, it's gonna present a different point of view that nobody might've thought about, which is important to consider considering our art is so subjective and requires so much different audience input. It is good to consider those things always. And I think that's really awesome that you guys like have such what sounds like a really well-made crew and you're all really meshing with your collaboration. It sounds like, um, that's exciting. Don't worry, we're all hate, hate each other come day one. And <laughs> <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> Uh, by the end of the film yeah you know you never know <laughs> uh, but you know in that in getting your crew together and kind of getting this started what's what's been sort of the best moment or maybe the best experience for everybody on this journey so far individually as a group like I would love to hear about that there's so many things you could say here <laughs> there's been so many amazing moments let's go with uh if you had to pick from the journey so far your personal top three moments. Well, I, I can. Mm. Um, I I would say the there was one afternoon where we all got together and we just had a reading of the script. Uh, this was actually pretty recently. We did this via Zoom uh, because of the because of the world we're all living in right now, and that that was pretty surreal just to get you know twenty five plus people uh, reading a script that you really didn't think had any legs initially, and then to have people who are invested in it. And then, and then you start thinking this, this could actually, this could actually evolve into something, this could actually happen. So I think that was quite, 
that was quite unexpected and that was a, it was a wonderful thing. But I think kind of what Antonio and Heather and Kristen have all alluded to is it, um, it starts off really, really slow and then it happens all at once. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you create something, you don't really have a lot of say in how it's going to end. I mean, you just sort of do, you just put in the work and, and uh, I mean, that's, that's sort of a, a hard lesson one that I've had to, I've had to learn over the years is you sort of have to surrender to the things that are out of your control. So when you're pleasantly surprised in that way and people really resonate with something that you've written, um, it's, uh, it's really wonderful. But, but, you know, like, like the three of them have been saying, I mean, it really is a group effort because we have different strengths and uh, everybody has contributed something to this story. So that, that's it for me, I would say, is just that, uh, that reading we had on Zoom. I don't know, what was that, Heather, about three months ago, four months ago? That um, was last yeah. summer. Yeah, it was seven years ago. No, uh, it was the late the late 70s that was that was a lot of fun also because we were able to get some of the people who are actually cast in these roles um reading their roles with nick right who's playing sunny so to actually hear them for the first time and see them via zoom of course but bouncing off of each other and see their energy together and see it actually work the way it we're hoping it does was really really cool because it because it did it was amazing um, I love table reads I yeah love it was table reads. it was a blast um I think for me as well location scouting we did a, a scout right before the pandemic hit and we were able to lock in a couple of our locations and to find locations that fit the vision that you've had in your head for like four years is pro- and get permission to shoot there actually is like one of the coolest feelings I could have had because you really start visualizing at that point right that this thing is happening and, and what it'll look like definitely yeah that's that's always great when you get the location you were hoping for amazing yeah that's super exciting okay cool yeah and uh, on that subject I would have to say just um the sheer amount of feedback that we're getting from uh uh, not only um, our collaborators and people who are on the cast and crew and whatnot too, but I mean, they're agents too. I mean, people who are professionals in the industry. I mean, uh, at this point, we've been able to start a dialogue and really uh, bring through a cast that we're really excited about and whatnot too. I mean, to play the father, we have somebody who is um, on the cast of The Sopranos um, and has been in through, throughout a lot of the season and whatnot too. I'll kind of leave it at that, but I think we're at the precipice of an enormous crossroads, as his character would say. Just leave that for your movie fans there. <laughs> um, but uh, also t- just talking with um, other actresses too, like uh, we have uh, one actress who's of course to pay- play the mother character and she's been in Black Panther, Crash, um, a lot of big, big movies and whatnot too. And the thing is people of m- minority populations too haven't really had too great of a role that they can really sink their teeth into, especially on uh, the grand level of Hollywood and whatnot too. I mean, you know, you think people of color, a lot of the times they're cast in these uh, types of, for lack of a better word, token type of roles or cliche type of roles. But I think that's something that uh, is really so unique about uh, this script and this project and why we're all here, um, that it's something different and it's something that uh, people can really be excited about and know that it's a good representation of the diversity that we see in the real world today. That's a great point to make for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Those are like great highlights and good things to point to just in general for your production because you bring up some great issues and points in general. I'm excited to see your castings because I'm pretty sure 
at least with the with with one I know who you're talking about. So that's that's exciting. Congrats. Not sure about the other one, but I, I I will be looking for the movie when it comes out so I can find out for myself or at least whenever there's an official announcement. I might but, give uh, you a few more Easter eggs in this podcast just later on. Okay, okay. Maybe I can piece it together, you know. I respect the NDA process. I understand. <laughs> Well, with uh, the next section we would move into is just talking about the pre-production process and we kind of talked a little bit about it and how you guys got the ball rolling. But what was your first really big win with this coming together? What do you think qualifies as your first big win? Uh, on the subject of uh, casting, I will say that one of our most exciting talent we have is very uh, young to play uh, one of the um, uh, students of the main character, Sonny, who he uh, kind of tries to take under his wing and mentor. And uh, this actor in particular, he is, um, has been in the highest grossing Disney Channel show of all time. And what Nickelodeon. And Nick Nickelodeon, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> Nickelodeon. 10-year-old uh, me is kicking me in the butt right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, just to really see the excitement from him, his uh, parents, and um, his agent and whatnot, too. I mean, this is someone who um, Nickelodeon was trying to groom, but he also sees himself as a serious actor and whatnot, too, and really wants a role that he can show his true potential in. And seeing that type of excitement from young, talented actor like that, and him being more excited to work with us than what he's done in the past, too, is uh, really just uh, heartwarming to see. Okay. I think that that was a big win uh, after seeing all of that feedback from that group. Definitely. I would qualify that as a win. Anytime you land like a casting that would be really great for the story or especially great for the character, that's that's a win for sure. Yeah, there yeah. have been a lot of wins. Another yeah. one I would say is um, some of the accolades that we've gotten. You know, okay. we've placed we've placed in six uh, screenwriting competitions, screenplay oh, awards, nice. things like that. And that was really exciting. You know, Screencraft, New York City International Screenplay Awards, some other ones yeah. just really that that's really validating you know it's really it's saying somebody who has nothing to do with your project and has no idea who any of you are thinks this is something and the more that come in the, the better that feels yeah that's huge congrats absolutely okay we talked about some of the first big wins what have been some of the challenges that have come up along the path so far either um your first big challenges or just the biggest challenge so far Actually, both. I'd like to hear about both. <laughs> um, Heather, or, or I mean, I can, I, I, challenges for sure. I mean, I think we were all thrown by the whole, you know, COVID situation, uh, which we can get into another, another question. But that definitely, I think, threw us, you know, through a, to, through a loop um, in many ways. Um, but, you know, the challenge of, um, you know, uh, that and just, you know, having the time or uh, the timing of, of a project is so important. Mm -hmm. um, and it kind of, you know, it's been working to our benefit that we've, you know, prolonged the process, got the script better, you know, worked out its bugs, all that kind of stuff. But for me, I would say as, 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 as COVID hit, it deflated my sales a little bit, you know, when you're starting to gain that momentum and stuff and, but mm -hmm. yeah, it worked out. So yeah, for me, that's what it was. I think yeah. that's a, that's a good one. Uh, just 
cutting in really quick just because that is something that I would stress for anybody who's looking to make movies or wants to make movies. And I've something that's come up before, but pre-production spend as much time on pre-production as possible. And a lot of people don't ever spend enough time on pre-production. And again, that's where a lot of your problems can get solved, but we all know filmmaking is problem solving nine times out of 10. So there's still going to be problems that show up on the day or during the process, but the more time you can spend on your pre-production, the better. And it sounds like getting that extended time because of COVID as much as that's unfortunate and we're all in this weird virtual hellscape uh, has probably been very beneficial, I can imagine, for helping iron out a lot of that stuff. So yeah, that's that's a good one. Pre-production yeah. time. I, I really agree on that pre-production point. I'm also, my, my kind of day job is in film sales, but mm. luckily that really translate as a day job because it goes hand in hand with producing. Um, I'm really a, a glass half full type of person. When I So when I read a question like this, I'm like, man, but the challenges, they've become something stronger, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I couldn't agree more with what you said and with Kristen's, uh, with what Kristen said is we've, we've done a really good job, even when it's hard at when something comes up like COVID, anything like that, at using the time and using whatever it gives us to just make this stronger, right? Because at the end of the day, a film is nothing without a good story. Mm -hmm. And very, I mean, Nick has done an amazing job at going to the script and making very, very, very subtle changes that make a big difference. And of course, that's with Kristen and Antonio's input as well. And I just, it's in those subtle changes that make it stronger. It's not, you know, you're not changing big things. It's, it's a word here and there that, that changed things in a big way. Oh, yeah. um, and, and something as well is really understanding in this process, like finding money is always going to be hard. Finding the right money is even harder, right? You oh, yeah. don't just want to take any money that comes your way either. So really learning the differences in those and being able to evaluate conversations that we have and, and the best route for us has been a huge learning experience throughout this. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point having the right money, not just any money. You don't know who you're going to wind up involved with if you're just taking any money and you don't know what they're going to want on the back end either. Uh, exactly. And sometimes people get really, really screwed over that way. Listen, right, out I there. guess I've got to take one of my investors off the list, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, watch, uh, watch uh, yourselves yeah. there, producing friends, you know, you, you never know. Be careful, be careful. Uh, no, no, but um, I mean, in all seriousness, I think that... Um, also as the world changes around us as artists in general we have to be able to pivot to that and be able to adapt to what is happening in the world and whatnot too i mean you know uh you, you take like um for example a, a friend of mine at uh, nyu he had a um, thesis project that he did uh, very much about a woman coming to age and um, it was kind of pre me too movement mm -hmm. <laughs> and the project didn't see the light of the day for like about three years until after he graduated and then um, once the me too too movement really um, uh, gained a lot of steam uh, his video went viral and all of a sudden everybody was wa uh, watching it and talking to him about this uh, film that he made five years ago and whatnot too. <laughs> so you never know what is going to be the um, uh, most relevant topic or what mm -hmm. is, uh, 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 what I like to say, uh, socially, culturally, or politically relevant in those times. Because I truly believe that 
uh, films in general are somewhat of a zeitgeist of an era. I mean, it really tells us a lot about the world around us in that time and whatnot too. And I think that um, Nick in particular has done a great job of um, adapting the story, not to change or message or um, the emotionality or uh, what we set out uh, from the get-go with the script so much, but adapt it for it to be as relevant as possible to the time mm. that we're living in right now. Because that's really what I I'm in uh, filmmaking for too. I mean, I'm not interested in making the next, um, you know, Michael Bay film with uh, explosions and things like that too. I mean, uh, me personally, I'm uh, interested in uh, telling a story that says something about society or at least makes you think about the world in a different way, in a new perspective. Absolutely, yeah, that's, that's a great, Great point. Sounds like Nick's a hell of a writer, so that's that's really exciting. Uh, I'll be excited to uh, to see the the product here at the end because it sounds really good. <laughs> they're, they're being far too kind. Uh, <laughs> I plagiarized the whole thing, Scott. So it's, uh, <laughs> I just cut and paste. All right, we're getting we're getting to the meat of it here now. All right. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is this is the platform that I wanted to tell everybody. <laughs> well, I'm so I'm so glad you chose this one. You know, so <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I apologize. If you guys look very closely, it's it's the same outline and plot as Police Academy 4. So, uh, <laughs> Son of a gun. All right. <laughs> there you go. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> I was going to tell you sooner. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, really, this goes to show when you put your uh, heart and soul into something, anything's possible and whatnot, too. I mean, I, I always love the Maya Angelou quote, there's no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. Hmm. That's a great quote. It's beautiful. Great quote. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. Good one. Yeah. And, and I think to add on that, Anthony, that's beautiful. And, and to think that we've been like a part of this for the story, Nick, like for over four years, something like that. And I think too, for listeners, you know, or any filmmaker is trusting the process and keeping it float that seed you know watered and knowing that it's gonna live and breathe and do its own thing and you gotta just roll you know roll with it if it's, and if it's great and it's any good it's just gonna continue to do its own thing that's definitely I think part of part of the learning process that I've I've learned the most yeah is not to judge it you know not to judge the process I think a yeah. lot of people get caught up in that too thinking you know so often you'll see like some overnight success sort of thing, but not, most of the time it's not actually an overnight success. There's so many years that built up to that prior that people just don't see. Same thing with projects and movies like this. You just never know. Sometimes you think, oh, this came out, looks good. You find out later that it took 10 years to get there. Sometimes it just takes a long time for something to hit or for the right people to get involved to make it happen. You're all here still after four years. Again, just more testament to... Uh, how strong your team must be and how good and passionate you are about this project. We definitely want to talk about the, the biggest of hurdles to leap over, but uh, what challenges are you currently facing? And do you have a battle strategy for moving forward? I'll let the producers answer that. <laughs> uh oh, here we go. We're on the spot. <laughs> um, so, uh, of course, I mean, one challenge, as we mentioned, is um, actually securing the investment. But I think what Heather mentioned earlier is um, the most important point of it all is we want to take the right money and be able to um, work with people who um, have uh, 
an understanding of the story and the film that we're trying to execute here too. Mm. Because the last thing we want is to go about doing this in the wrong way or not make the best film possible too. I mean, when I came on this team and whatnot too, and when we've all put our heads together throughout these past few years, we've noticed that, you know, it's actually gonna take a lot more money than we thought to execute this project in the right way. And a lot of that is shooting in uh, the Bay Area itself and in, in Oakland. I mean, if we were to take this film and shoot it over in another state like Georgia or New Mexico with tax incentives and whatnot too, those are great places, don't get me wrong, but it wouldn't be the same story. And I think that it's uh, telling to us as a group and what we're trying to do with this particular film and trying to be really authentic to uh, what was set out and this film needs to be shot in Oakland and it will be shot in Oakland. It's going to take a little bit more money to do it, but it's going to be that much better because of it. That is always a big part of the budget is location. And uh, especially if you're shooting on location somewhere as much as possible, that's going to eat up a big chunk. So plan for that filmmakers and uh, young indie, indie upstarts. You definitely want to make sure you have the amount of budget for that and (laughs) call in your favors. Absolutely call in your favors. If you can get a location for free, by all means, do it. It will help you in or anything. I mean, every little bit helps. Anything, yeah, every little bit helps. Exactly. You know, we all know it's no no secret that California is expensive. And it's, it's not even really, you know, the filmmaking part of it that's really expensive. It's making sure that you can pay everybody above minimum wage. That's really what it comes down to, you know, is, is being able to pay your crew and your actors enough. And we want to do that, of course, but it's expensive. So, and then of course, just finding the money to do that. Mm -hmm. We believe in it. And as Antonio said, it needs to happen here. So that's what we'll do. I appreciate the sort of like stick-to-itiveness, the perseverance to make sure it happens in the location where it should take place. Again, we've talked about like story is important and especially when the story is wrapped in a location or a place as much as it is like also wrapped in the character, you got to do your best to make that happen, to make that work. So I'm I'm thrilled to hear that, especially with like a four, so far a four-year journey to get here and you're still really gunning to make that happen. That's impressive. Um, what are your, let's say as a team, if so, one of you wants to answer, like, what is your goal as a team with this project? And then what are your individual goals for each of you with this project? Nick, you want to do that? I, or go first or. Um, I sure. Can... Yeah. I, I would say yeah. that, I, I mean, my, my personal goal is just to tell the most truthful and compelling story that we can. I mean, I, as I was sort of alluding to earlier, there, there's just, I think, part of getting older, or at least uh, hopefully getting a bit wiser, um, is learning to surrender to all the variables that are out of your control. And, you know, in this industry, as you know, Scott, there's just more stars that have to align for things to unfold. And so, um, you know, there are, living in New York, you just see the most wildly talented people. You'll see them in the subway station playing like the most incredible music. And um, this this is the least meritocratic industry on the planet where, you know, talent doesn't necessarily Uh, mean success because you know the supply far exceeds the demand unfortunately but um so i think as as a a young actor i didn't really understand that and uh, i just sort of thought that i could bulldoze my way to the top that if i outworked everybody but um so i've sort of learned to i mean i'm still working on this but i've learned to surrender to the things that aren't in my control and really kind of hone and zero in on the things that are 
And we have no control over so many things once we kind of put this out into the world. But, but the things that I think we do have control over are our work ethic, our attitude, and the way that we sort of deal with any type of adversity, which I think we've done uh, quite well with so far. So for me, uh, I just want to tell a wonderful story. And whatever people get from that, uh, whether it's a, it's a message or whether they're just entertained is, is really not within my control. It's kind, of, it's kind of beside the point. So I just want to tell a great story. Uh, and uh, as, as Antonio and Heather and, and Kristen have all said, I think we have all the pieces to do that. And well said, I wanting to tell a great story, especially from the writing standpoint. <laughs> that's, that's always what you want to do. And uh, I, what I appreciate about that is like, and I think you can, you can probably, you can probably commiserate with this is uh, you want to set out to tell a great story. And it sounds like when you're passionate about your story, more often than not, you're going to wind up with a story that's truthful and good, which is what you're going for. But more than anything, if you're happy with your story, you're proud of your story and how it moves you. That is what at the end of the day is going to be the most important thing because art is subjective. Our movies are subjective. You can put yeah. it out there and maybe nobody, nobody quite connects with it the way you expect, but there's always going to be those audience members that do. And that's, that's where, that's where it all counts. You know, that's where it matters. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I just wanted to quickly add too. I mean, I think when I was, uh, a really young actor in drama school, I thought that the point of any type of performance was to, you know, to change the world with a monologue. And then I, I sort of looked down on this notion that, that film and theater is just for the purpose of entertainment. And then I thought, as I got older, I was like, well, what's so wrong with that? You know, I mean, in, in a world where, uh, you know, people are checking their phones, uh, you know, 1400 times a month, and we have these dwindling attention spans and people aren't really yeah. listening to each other and people are constantly being distracted, getting someone's attention for an hour and a half and two hours, is not an insignificant thing. I mean, if somebody will watch something that you've created for an hour and a half, that's a huge, that's, that's a huge deal. Yeah. Um, you know, people are giving you their time. And so whatever they take from that um, is, is really, is really uh, none of my business. I mean, I don't have any right to impose sort of some theme beyond that, but if you can get someone's attention, I, I think that's, that's an amazing thing, especially in the, in the world that we're living in, in the sort of fractured time that times that we're living in. So um, yeah. And, and I think you can only do that if you tell a really great story. Yeah, absolutely. Capturing people's attentions, especially these days, is really tough. Uh, I, I teach kids on a daily basis. Keeping kids' attentions is, is hard to do, even when I teach cool stuff like how to make video games. So, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. yeah, keeping people's attention is, is difficult. And if you, can, if you can accomplish that with your story, that's like something to definitely be proud of. And it's a feat that is so often hard to achieve, you know? Excellent. Thank you. Kristen, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I'm, I, I remember when Nick gave me the script and asked me to direct, I, I was so taken aback and so honored that I, you know, it's a great honor to direct this. And, you know, I feel the weight of doing the script justice and, and what it, you know, is, is about. Um, it's heavily character driven which which I love as a director that's my favorite you know types of film um are heavily you know nuanced and um dynamic and really draw you in you know internally and so much of this script of the character is is eternal work you know it's not environmental it's all in here in the in the body and the mind and um that's really exciting yet at the same time I know that's very challenging as a as a director and so uh, Nick and I were talking, I was like, we were always talking about Garden State. <laughs> and uh, I'd seen it like so long ago, right? And I was like, sure. oh, those hips, that hipster movie. 
whatever. So last night I was like, hey, Nick, I, I actually rewatched Garden State and it's really freaking good. <laughs> and um, so I was like, yeah, there's a few things in here that I, I are totally, you know, you can borrow. And I think that's really something too, you know, I, I always have to remember it's okay to borrow. It's okay to like, I'm going to pull from here. You know, I'm going to pull elements of, you know, Columbus, Garden State, you know, Half Nelson, um, these films that, you know, stir things up that, you know, in, in a similar fashion. And we, as a group, actually saw Minari, which was, uh, we taught a long, you know, conversation about that film and how brilliant, you know, the ending was, particularly for, for me, yeah, I thought it was great and how unapologetic that ending is. And so I think it's fun as a director to keep finding these little gems, you know, these little things of like, oh, that, that's cool. I can, because it's always, it's, it's, it's not done until you've shot it, right? right? Or edit it. So there's the potential of change all the time that as a collapse collaborators, you're bouncing ideas back and forth. And that's my ultimate favorite. You're not a painter painting a painting. It's a living, breathing thing that you're working with people and trying to make the best film. Collaboration is so key. So I'm so, I'm just so excited to work with this team that has that, those creative juices. So, yeah. Working with a great team and bringing a great story to life. I love it. I think, for me, you know, I, I, I've worn a lot of different hats in this industry and I don't think I ever take any of them off. Like I kind of, you know, tip one of the side. So I kind of always have this creative hat, this producer hat and this sales hat that I'm kind of always wearing all of those. And so for me, I think that my answer really reflects that. Um, like Nick said, and so many of us have said, it all has to come back, come back to the story. It always does, right? Everything has to come back to the story and how good it is. That being said, I want to get this thing in as many homes as possible. I want as many eyes in front of this thing as possible. And as Nick said, what, what people think of it and where, what they do with it from there is, is up to them. But I want to get them the opportunity to see it as many people as possible, mm -hmm. um, both from just relating to the story and the representation and seeing Oakland on the big screen again and all of these aspects. And then, you know, I, I, I couldn't not mention that I really would like to make the investors their money back and then some. <laughs> that would be a really big goal for me. That's a good goal, especially in the context of film financing. Exactly. <laughs> absolutely. Producers' absolutely. goals. Producers' goals. Producers' goals. Yes, definitely. <laughs> All right. Well, we got that. We got I that. Got Antonio, sounds like you put, you have a similar goal there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, I also just like to think of also what Kristen mentioned too. I mean, you never know what the film's going to be like until it's completely done. And once it's completely done and um, out into the real world. Um, I think it's really about um, the type of uh, cinematic experience. I mean, we're in a very uh, unique time right now too. I mean, we have a bunch of different types of experiences. You know, we have um, films that um, are really made for the theater that, you know, we haven't really, we're all itching to get back to and whatnot too. I know I am. And there's a lot of films and whatnot that are doing really well on streaming platforms and whatnot too. And I think that it's, also a different type of cinematic experience. And I really want to see this film uh, flourish in whatever medium it 
ends up in at the end of the day. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that um, we'll, we'll be able to determine that as we see the film kind of grow and whatnot too. And uh, I mean, you know, like um, uh, people have said before, the film is uh, like a child. And that film has many parents. That is to say many individuals who act like parents. For better or worse sometimes, you know, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> indeed, indeed. For each of you, what movies or artists or creators have been some of your biggest influences in coming to this project or uh, the creative influence of this project? Like I heard, Kristen, you mentioned a few movies already. I, I think that a film like this is also very uh, different and non-classical and whatnot too. I mean, you think like um, uh, main classical narrative that's um, based on like cause and effect. This happens so that character has to make this choice and then because he made that choice, uh, all of a sudden um, this happens. I mean, this is very much a slice of life and we really want to um, put the audience in uh, the shoes of the character of Sonny and see what this experience is like. And it's very um, much like that. And I think that it's different in the sense that it's uh, almost a little bit like a Minari in the aspect mm. that we are uh, kind of uh, peeking into uh, this person or this family's lives for a portion of time. And then it kind of tells us about uh, the family in general and the world around him. Sure, yeah. So Minari, okay, that's, that's good influence. Nick, what, were there any huge influences for you while you were writing? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I was sort of a, I became sort of an accidental writer. Uh, I still don't really consider myself a screenwriter. I think that's, that's uh, not really fair. Uh, but uh, I just read dozens and dozens of screenplays. And I think um, at least the ideology, not necessarily the work of people like Aaron Sorkin really resonated with me. Uh, Secrets of the Screen Trade with Bill Goldman, which I think, I believe was uh, Aaron Sorkin's mentor. Um, uh, I read dozens and dozens of screenplays. I think one of the best screenplays I've ever read in my life was Shawshank Redemption. Uh, Chinatown obviously is fantastic. Uh, Manchester by the Sea is a wonderful screenplay. So it's all sort of a blur, Scott. I just read so many. But I think, you know, Kristen and I were in these pretty intense MFA training programs. So all we did for three years, we just read dozens and dozens and dozens of plays. And then when we became actors, um, we were reading scripts. Um, one guy I, I do want to say had a huge influence on me was a guy named Taylor Sheridan. Um, and Taylor Sheridan, for those listening, uh, if you don't know who he is, he wrote uh, Sicario. So I'll mm -hmm. tell this story super quick. But so he, he was on Sons of Anarchy and he was, you know, a good looking guy kind of kicking around Hollywood for uh, 20 years, but never on the never sort of a star leading guy and um, finds out that everybody on the show is making more money than he is. And so he goes to the executive producer and he says, I'd like to be paid the same amount. And the executive producer says, well, you're not worth the same amount. So he quits. And I believe he was roughly the same age as I am now. And uh, he goes home and his wife says, well, what are you going to do to support us? And he says, honey, don't worry. I have, I have a great idea. I'm going to become a screenwriter. And so, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know if this is how much. Amazing plan. Yeah. And he sort of maxes out his last couple of credit cards and invests in um, Final Draft Pro. And, and, and uh, he sits down and he writes Sicario. Yep. Um, and so somebody asked him, did you know how to write a screenplay? He said, absolutely not but I knew exactly how not to write one because I'd read so much crap in 20 years that I just avoided those pitfalls. And I just think that's an incredibly inspiring story. And what he found out was that he actually didn't particularly even like being an actor. He liked being a storyteller. Mm -hmm. So I would say he was a huge influence on me. And then the last two would be Ashkar Fahadi, uh, who is an Iranian filmmaker, uh, you know, the salesman, um, a separation. What I learned from him is you can tell a really, really simple story 
but in a very compelling way. Stories don't have to be incredibly complicated to be interesting. Mm-hmm. And then I would say Korida Hirakazu, who, um, who I don't know if you saw the film Shoplifters. Oh, yeah. Same thing, same thing. These guys are excellent at just creating really, really simple but beautifully told stories. You don't need, you know, you don't need these incredible sort of complexity like in a, in a, in a, in a Christopher Nolan screenplay, for instance. Sure. You can tell a really compelling, beautiful story and it can be very simple if it's about the relationships, if it's about nuance and it's truthful. So all, all those guys had a profound influence on me um, and still do, yeah. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. And again, just more and more and more. It's making me want to watch this movie. So those are some great influences just in general. Fantastic. What are you shooting on? Do we already have a film package figured out? Are we, what are, what are we working with? Yes, absolutely. We'll be shooting on the state of the art um, uh, iPhone 4S. Um, beautiful lenses. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That's, that's the top of the line stuff right there. Oh, there you go. There you go. It's hard you to know. get these days. Balling on a Woo. budget out here. Balling on a budget. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, uh, in all seriousness, we'll be sh- uh, shooting on uh, industry standard state-of-the-art um, uh, equipment. Uh, we're hoping to uh, secure like a uh, nice uh, Alexa nice. camera um, and uh, hopefully use Panavision lenses. So it'll look oh, there you go. just like um, your uh, Avengers um, $50 million film, but made for a little less. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, trade secret, those of you uh, who are just getting into this, uh, you know, you, you do need a good camera, but uh, you need real good lenses. So invest in that. <laughs> exactly. And uh, I mean, uh, in general, too, it's easy to make a film look good now, uh, given technology and uh, everything that is uh, at our disposal right now and whatnot, too. I think it's really about story and also about sound and whatnot, too. I mean, as a, a producer, um, I... Uh, my influence is a lot on the sound design and whatnot too. I mean, uh, you won't see me in uh, the editing room too much. I'll completely trust Kristen when it comes to that, but you will see me (laughs) in the sound design room and whatnot too, because I think that sound is 60% of a film and whatnot too. Thing is, once you hear something off, it takes you out of that cinematic experience. And, you know, we're all uh, kind of have the suspension of disbelief. When we go into a film, we're putting ourselves in that world. And as a filmmaker, you want to keep your audience in that world and whatnot too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, even one little sound that is off, we'll take them out of that. Think that that's something that we're really trying to invest in and uh, make sure that we are not taking shortcuts when it comes to sound and really trying to make sure that that sound complements the um, beautiful story that we have. And uh, I know that Kristen's going to do amazing with the picture already, so. Yeah, that's absolutely important. Sound is such a huge part of movies. Uh, I know most people at this point probably realize that, but even if you don't, if you don't invest in your sound and making sure your sound design is really, really well executed and just complements the hell out of your picture, yeah, you're going to lose people for sure. I, I've definitely been a part of more than my fair share of projects and things that just didn't quite get there with the sound. You know, it happens. It happens. Um, and that's... That's going to cause the project unforgiving. to suffer. Well, it truly is. I think it's because our sense is that is that it, that's like our first sense of truth is is sound versus eyes, or at least that's what I've been told. Um, I don't know if it's true, but I'd also I also want to point out, you know, to filmmakers who are listening to this, just because we're shooting on an Alexa, it doesn't mean that 
you know, um, everybody else has to, or it's, you know, I think um, you have to find the story dictates how you shoot it and which lenses you use and which camera you use. So that's just something to throw out there. And we're just going after Alexa for this, for, you know, tone and, and style and, you know, and because it's, you know, um, a drama with elements of, you know, comedic uh, undertone, you know, and Alexa really fits it, I think. Yeah, gives you gives you some nice quality, but also some versatility for whatever you're trying to picture and show, especially in your project. Um, and especially detailing with where you're shooting, which is one of the next things to talk about. We know it's going to be the Oakland area and all that. Presenting environments in that way, you do need that versatility in general, because you're showing a lot of a lot of different sides of this place. And um, especially in the context of your story, the changes and how things have evolved and having a camera that's versatile will help present that that much more. Um, talking about those locations and environments, now roughly in Oakland, is there, any, uh, is there anywhere you can talk about specifically you're excited to shoot in Oakland? Is that something you can talk about? I mean, you, you said that really well. Oakland is such a part of this story. It really, we talk about it as if it's, if, as if it's its own character in the story, right. you know, yeah. and it really is just as important as Sunny and just as important as some of these other characters. Um, and to highlight, like Nick talked about the changes in Oakland, right? And some of them are good and some of them are bad, just like anywhere else, but we need to see them and we need to see them through Sunny's eyes, right? So we have some cool locations. Um, we're going to be shooting primarily in Oakland, one location in San Francisco, you know, really round out that Bay Area-ness, um, sure. head across the bridge for a minute. But we have some cool dynamic locations. Um, Antonio mentioned earlier that Sunny becomes a teacher in one part of the story. And so we have some school scenes. And so it's been really fun to find the right fit of a school with you know, it, it's, it's when you really are standing there, like I said, in the hallway looking, we've stood in a few, you know, different school hallways around the Bay Area now and really looked at the differences in the lockers and the differences in the floors and the ceilings and the different types of, you know, lighting that's in there and the classrooms and what do the classrooms look out on and there's, there's just so many factors, um, you know, relative to our story, but also just that are interesting in looking at locations and looking at what are the similarities across these schools across the Bay Area. And just, it's been really, it's been really interesting. Um, another important location is Sunny's childhood home. And we have done some scouting there. We haven't picked um, one exactly yet, but you know, it has to really reflect not only their family and the mixing. We haven't talked too much about this, but um, Sunny is half Italian, half Korean and it really has to his home has to reflect that and it also has to reflect the Bay Area you know as a as a Bay Area native there's a lot of times where I'll see a, a film and I'll go oh I didn't realize this was shot in the Bay Area just from the interior or exterior of a home sure. and we need it to reflect that you know we really need people to be able to latch onto that and feel like they're in Oakland when they watch this so there's a lot of fun locations um, people will see in a lot of neighborhoods within Oakland that Sunny will peruse. So you'll see a lot of different parts of it. Yeah, fair enough. You've seen that iconic, like a grizzly peak and whatnot too, which is mm -hmm. a, a vantage point where you can really see that perspective between uh, Oakland and San Francisco and just the Bay Area as a whole, which I think kind of speaks to the character in the story. 
Yeah, and that's great. Treating your location as a character, I think, is really important too. Projects often are going to be better when you do that. Your your location, your environment, the place that your characters inhabit should be as much a part of your story, if possible, as the actual story itself. Um, and especially in this context, it sounds like you have a great sort of handle on how to frame everything, especially in that context. And uh, obviously you can't talk too much about some of the locations just yet. I know you're still finding certain things, but hearing that you want to kind of showcase that sort of uh, dichotomy, I guess, of like San Francisco, Oakland, like the big rising changes and like the gentrification as opposed to like the way things uh, used to be in, in some of those neighborhoods and how much that's affecting everything around them. That's huge. And I think that's really, really cool. Again, your environment should be part of your story hugely. And uh, that's exciting. I think the cool yeah. thing about like the environment too, or the, the discussions that we've had as a group talking about environments, like, I think it's really important if you, if you are, you know, having a story that, that, that the, the environment is a character, then you have to treat it like a character and you can't have gratuitous stuff in there because in itself, it operates in its own world. Mm-hmm. And so the conversations that we've had, like, you know, in a montage maybe and being like, well, you know, here's, here's a list of locations in the montage and going through that and going like, well, no, that actually doesn't need to be in there because that's really not servicing the story of that location. So sure. that's been kind of an interesting process is really finding those locations that, that, that are suited. Yeah. Well, and not only that, but that's one of the things that's evolved like Antonio was saying you know that Nick's had to really keep current in the script there's certain really minor things in the descriptions and and what we're highlighting that have actually changed since since the original versions of this script so that's been something Nick's done a good job of like keeping up to date on see that's a really interesting to think about uh from the writing context too just keeping track of those changes especially in that one in the context of the story, but two in the context of the actual location you're showing. Um, Cause that's just going to shift the context of those moments for when you're showcasing those scenes too. So having to play catch up with that has to be an interesting creative challenge, but it sounds like according to the team, Nick's got it down. What was like, do you have like any particular moment that was really hard to sort of adapt to a change that took place in the actual locations? Well, um, you know, it's the only reason it's the script is where it's at is because of everybody. But I, you know, I'll say that uh, kind of to go off what Kristen and Heather were just saying, um, it's a really delicate balance because, you know, Oakland is a pretty complicated place. Um, it's it's uh, it's deeply woven into the the fabric of this country's civil rights movement. Um, there are ex- there are some of the wealthiest parts in the country in Oakland and the Oakland Hills. And then if you drive yeah, just a couple of miles away in East Oakland, you're in one of the most violent parts of the United States. So it's a very complicated place in that sense. And uh, it's also in a very, very misunderstood place as well. Um, invariably, the headlines you hear about Oakland are, are not particularly good. Um, and usually it has to do with uh, crime uh, or some type of violence or some type of corruption or violence. But uh, there is so much more to it. It's so much more nuanced than that. So I think one of the big challenges was um, as, as Kristen was saying, you know, not being gratuitous in the sense that, okay, if you're going to drive past, let's say, a tent city, 
Um, you're not doing it to be pedantic and to hit the audience over the head with a message. You're doing it because you believe it serves a story. Mm. Because I think when you're trying to horse feed a message to an audience, they tune out because they don't feel like their intelligence is being respected to sort of figure it out on their own. So that's really, really hard. I mean, that's, it's really tricky to figure that out. Like, am I doing this? Am I writing this part? Because I want the audience to know um, that this is an issue in Oakland or because it's genuinely part of the story. And if it's not serving the story, then you just have to kind of put your ego and your sort of your agenda to the side. And as, a, as someone that's not uh, still very much a novice screenwriter, um, I don't always know how to do that. So that's when Antonio and Heather and Kristen have been totally indispensable and just been like, I know you really like this, but it's gotta go, it's not helping anything. Um, so I would say for me, that's that's been really tricky. Uh, and you as a writer, Scott, I'm sure you can relate to that. Um, oh yeah, definitely. That what has to go because sometimes you, I'm sure you've written something that's just beautiful and and but it just it's not serving the story, and you got to. Oh yeah. Because I think oh, everybody's yeah. seen a film where something is gorgeous to look at, but you're like, what does that have to do with anything? And so that actually eclipses. The beauty of it because you're, you're actually sort of overwhelmed with the fact that it has nothing to do with anything so that's yeah. kind of where your attention goes so um so i think kristen brought up a, a really good point but all you know antonio and heather and kristen and and and, and ever david and everybody has just been really great about just keeping me honest and being like this is nice but it's not helping the story right and that's like uh two sayings popped into my head as you were like going over that because that's that is such a huge part of just the writing process in general um with those views and things, age old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Same thing goes with your, your overall themes and tones and what your goal is for your story. You can bring them those, those elements. You can't ensure they're gonna latch on, you know? And then having something you really love that you have to cut the whole kill your darlings thing. That's every writer has to, has to deal with that like all the time. You, you fall in love with the scene that you wrote and you're like, this has nothing to do with the overall story. It's just a great scene, gotta go. Doesn't matter if it's really well written. Doesn't matter if you love the way the characters talk to each other. Do it somewhere else because it's not going to fit here. That's a fine, hard balance to, to walk a lot of the time. Yeah, and I think that that's something that Nick has done a really good job with throughout the story. Um, Oakland aside, with the themes, you know, he does a really good job of weaving subtle themes throughout. And they're never hit over your head. And they, you know, they might come to a head in a moment, but it's never look at this, look at this, look at this, ever. Right. It's just, they're woven throughout. And I think that that's something that we were all really impressed with. I'm speaking for all of us here, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that we were all really impressed with, with Minari. Is that something that they did really well of just kind of weaving these things, themes throughout the story in a really beautiful way. Yeah. And, and in a way that does not use a lot of dialogue. And I know that's something that's, that Nick has touched on before is remembering that you don't, you don't have to say a lot. You can show it in your characters and, and their experiences and how they react to things. And, and you get plenty across that way. That's a, that's a big one that I've always found, especially in that writing process too, is with characters and movies. And yeah, a lot of times you can accomplish a lot when you don't have dialogue at all. And I think what a lot of people forget is how much of your life on a daily basis are you experiencing in any given day where you spend most of your time probably not talking? Probably, especially now, like doing stuff on your phone without actually saying words to anyone. There's a lot of just body language and subtlety that can be done in that way with your storytelling. And it's so much more truer to how we 
generally live our lives. If you're having full conversations, that's usually because you're in a room where you're hanging out with people to have those conversations. But if you're just yourself solo, you're not usually talking to yourself out loud unless you've been alone for a long time on an island or something, you know? Well, we're or, artists, so we all talk to ourselves in uh, other ways. That's the other exception <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> that's the other exception. Um, or if you're an artist and uh, if you've been trapped at home during a pandemic, then maybe that, that could also be yeah, you talking to yourself. But yeah, I think um, subtlety in storytelling is an art and is part of a good story. You have to find that subtlety. It's, uh, it's, it's the age-old struggle with writing, and especially when it leaves the writer's hands, as, as Nick was saying before, you don't know where it's going to go from there. There's going to be a lot of more people getting involved, and it's going to keep changing and adjusting and growing and becoming something a little bit new and different. So you just kind of have to release it and, and hope for the best. Exactly. Um, he doesn't know that we're recasting Brad Pitt in his role and we're hiring um, uh, Tommy Wiseau to direct. And uh, that's, that's for later. Though. <laughs> I'm, I'm just doing, I'm just doing catering. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just an extra. Uh, just an extra. <laughs> All right. Well, then uh, moving to the next little thing here is um, in terms of score or feeling, how does this film sound like? to you what does this film sound like to you in your head when you think about it oh boy well when i reviewed the questions um i went i don't know and i sat in this for i mean i know you know what i mean you have an idea you know that you're gonna use we've all we've talked about using oakland artists um oakland has an incredible you know music scene um, they have a sound has a very and any city also has its own sound soundtrack um, that's very important but um, and I, I called Nick and I was like you know um, I don't to be honest I don't know what to say and and we just assured each other that you know it's hard it's hard it's hard to make things concrete especially when it hasn't been shot and it hasn't been edited uh, because sometimes those things go back and forth, the editing and the sound, you know, they kind of go hand in hand. You're finding rhythm is so important when you're making a film. And sometimes you cut to music and sometimes you don't. And um, I'm a fan myself of minimalist uh, music. I don't like to be dict. I don't like my emotions to be dictated through 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 a, a composition and most of the time I, I think oh man I, maybe they just couldn't get there you know as actors and here comes the sound you know the bring on the musical bring manipulation on the music. right right no <laughs> so um so I think it's going to be interesting to find that I mean I think that the script was really interesting because it takes these moments of um internal work and really isolation and then it you know, he's in a classroom all of a sudden and that, you know, that that pull back and forth, that pull is going to be really interesting to play with in terms of in terms of sound. Um, I, I'm a huge sound addict in films, like as we discussed before, I love, you know, I love horror. And one of the reasons why I, I love horror is because of sound. So I'm hoping to kind yeah. of bring that as an element to this feature as well as really play around with with sound and what that what that does um but yeah in terms of music we'll see you know yeah yeah between you and antonio it sounds like you got the sound thing figured out 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we have a good team, as you can see, uh, and hear and whatnot, too. But I think a lot of it is about, like, what you don't hear and whatnot, too, and how you can kind of use that to uh, your advantage as a filmmaker in order to pique the art audience's curiosity or to uh, kind of have a foreshadow to something and whatnot, too. I mean, I like to think a lot about a dynamic range. And what I mean by that is... Um, really using those very high points and those very quiet, soft points and doing it to your advantage. Sometimes when you have a very quiet, slow scene, it builds up to something that's gonna happen later on and whatnot too. And a lot of that just happens in the post-production process as Fritz had mentioned and stuff too. But I think overall we're, we have a good approach in uh, trying to uh, capture the sounds of Oakland. I mean, when we are um, recording and uh, when we work, work with our sound recorders and whatnot too, he brings a stereo mic and also just captures the, am uh, the ambience or room tone of everything down to a street corner or if um, our character is just sitting in the classroom alone. It sounds very different when there's different people in the room and whatnot too. And I think that that's very important just uh, as a filmmaker in general is to be deliberate with your sound and to record everything on set <laughs> because it always becomes more expensive later on when you're trying mm -hmm. to put in post or I hate when people say we'll fix it in post and whatnot too. I mean, that's like a producer's nightmare. No, you can't do that <laughs> because you want to be able to record yeah. it and do everything as best as possible on set and then just clarify and intensify everything once you're in post-production later on. That way you don't have to deal with cleaning up things or um, cleaning up bad sound and whatnot too. But again, you know, it all, all comes with um, rolling the punches and whatnot too and we're just going to keep on going and see what um, things deliver to us and whatnot too. As you, you know, certain sets can be a little bit noisier than others, but true. You gotta work, but sometimes you gotta work with a leaf blower, right, Kristen? True, yeah. <laughs> you, can, yep. you can never miss the hold for room tone. No. If, if you can get everybody to be quiet, right? That's the trick. That, that is the trick, is getting everybody to stay quiet for that 30 seconds or a minute, however long you need. There's always one person that it's like, oh, this is the moment they need to talk to somebody else. Always one. I saw a comedy always sketch one. based on that, actually. It's pretty funny. That's pretty great. That's pretty great. And what um, I'll tell like, uh, first-time filmmakers, too, too, is, uh, hey, it'll take an extra five to ten minutes on set. But in post-production, that can take you an extra five to ten hours in order to fix so yeah. What, what would you rather choose? <laughs> I was going to say, I, was, I, I agree completely. As a person who's had to, uh, who's been hired to fix some things and post on some projects, there's only so much fixing can be done. <laughs> so exactly. try to get it right the first time. Otherwise, it's going to take you a lot more time than you want it to on the back end. And money. And money. Definitely money. Time is money in this industry. Oh, yeah, especially if your sound is messed up, then it's really going to cost you. Sounds like we're still finding what the general sound of it is for the movie, but obviously that's part of the territory since we're still coming to the production of it and actually getting to the end of the process. Again, talking about that very same thing of the location being such a big part of the, uh, the experience and the story and being its own character tackling the sound process from that exact same way is a great way to go too, because that should be a big part of the sound and using Oakland artists, I think is a really great way to also uh, one 
showcase the sound of the city in general to make it connect more with anybody who would be interested in like seeing this movie since it's taking place in Oakland. And it's probably going to help from like, you know, distribution financing side of things. Any artist that gets to be featured or wants to be involved in this is going to be great for promoting in Oakland and in general. Um, so I think it's a really smart strategy. Yeah. If, if you're listening, that's a really good way to ensure one way or the other uh, that you have a network of people ready to promote what you have working on it. The more people you have involved who care about this thing, the bigger your network is to put it out there for people to see it. So yeah, good call. Very good call. What was something you were completely unprepared for and didn't expect to have to deal with? I think that uh, being a filmmaker, you're, you're really kind of trained to expect the unexpected and really roll with the punches. Um, my, my very immediate response to this was naturally COVID. You know, yeah. we really did not expect that. Um, and we've just had to roll with it. And I think we've done a good job uh, strengthening strengthening the story just a little bit more and and racking up some of these accolades. So, you know, it was, it was not, not something we wish could have happened, but I think we've done a good job rolling with it. And I'm sure more challenges will present themselves. I mean, of course, on set and... Uh, as producers, we just kind of try and be prepared for that, especially for uh, people who um, are interested in filmmaking or just starting out in filmmaking. I mean, that's something to take into account always. Something's going to go wrong. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I remember on uh, my uh, first feature film, we were about two hours into the first day and a grip tried to grab a C-stand from a really high point in the truck and it fell and hit him in the face and whatnot too. And we had to make a hospital run within the first two hours of the first day on set. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a rough and, first day. That's a rough first day. <laughs> indeed, indeed. But I mean, we had everything set up. I mean, we had a PA ready uh, with a car. Uh, if anything were to happen, we had a first aid kit on set. Uh, we had uh, the right insurance in order to make sure that, you know, this will be covered and we don't bankrupt the production for the rest of uh, the 20 days that we're shooting or whatnot too. But uh, all of that is to say that be prepared for something to go wrong because it will yeah. but the more prepared you are to deal with that problem whatever it may be the more successful of a producer director um filmmaker you will be the more you anticipate those problems and how to deal with those then it's less time you have to uh, worry about um uh, dealing with it on set and you can get back to shooting and get back to the real fun stuff that we all love to do absolutely that goes back to, again, pre-production, making sure you take your time for pre-production and really get your ducks in a row, trying to figure things out as much as possible. Problem solving. I said earlier, nine, nine, 99% of the time, I feel like filmmaking is problem solving. So you're right. There's always going to be a problem. Expect there to be problems. If you have a really, really smooth, easy day, that's awesome. Cherish that because it's not going to last. It's not. There's going to be exactly. something that pops up. Um, how would you, anybody can field this one, how would you recommend a first-time filmmaker approaches the filmmaking process? What are some good ways in your opinions to get a good foundation to start on? Well, I'll just speak a little bit from the producing uh, aspect and then I'll let Kristen speak from the directing and Nick from the writing and just go backwards here a little bit. <laughs> um, so I, I think that, uh, as I mentioned, um, you know, being prepared for problems to happen on set and also just uh, what um, myself and Heather like to do is we like to uh, build 
handles or uh, build flexibility within our budget and our schedule and whatnot too. Um, so that way you have time to deal with those problems on set and everything too. And uh, communication with your crew, um, that is I think key in making sure that you have a good vibe and are kind of fostering that um, uh, production vibe and feeling and whatnot too. Because a lot of the time, uh, what you're going through on set will translate into the film and whatnot too. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. I always think about uh, uh, Apocalypse Now and um, uh, Francis Ford Coppola talking about how hectic it was on set and how sometimes he was doubting whether he can actually finish the film and whatnot too. And that happens, but it's all about how you deal with it. And sometimes you can use it to your advantage. So I encourage everybody to um, roll with it and really try to use every challenge to your advantage and whatnot mm -hmm. too. I agree with that, absolutely. Anybody else have any uh, first time filmmaker advice? Kristen, what do you think? Oh gosh, I think, um, man, uh, you know, it's okay to be green. I think it's, it's, it's okay. Um, you know, one of my favorite, favorite stories is when, sorry, um, it, it was a big lesson actually for me. Um, I, when I did um, Project Greenlight and it was horror and I knew nothing about horror at the time and, but I was accepted and they, they flew me out um, anyways to, to New York for these um, um, talks or whatever, you know. And anyways, um, what was cool about it was that um, I get down, there's a, ta there's a table presentation. They're all talking about horror. I know nothing about it. And they asked me, well, what's, what do you know about horror? And uh, I said, uh, I know absolutely nothing. And everybody's face that I was there with went blank, except for the guy sitting next to me who was head of Sundance. And he's like, that's, that's awesome. That's so cool <laughs> that, you know, I'm excited to see what you do. So the whole point is, is I think it is a blessing sometimes when you don't know what you're getting into um, because that passion to want to keep doing it, you have to have that. And if that's in place, it'll, it'll carry you for sure. And then rolling with the punches and collaborating and, and staying truthful to, to, to yourself, to, to what you know. I think that's, I think that's really my, my best advice yeah, I think I think that's my best advice. <laughs> I mean, I you know, I can I can really get on board with that in general just because uh not knowing how things work isn't I agree, it's not a bad thing. It means maybe you won't be tied into some ridiculous trope or story sort of cliche or a way to tell a story or a way to shoot a story. If you come into it not knowing, you have a better chance of doing something original or having an original take with a subject matter than you would if you've been studying this your whole life and oh I know these directors and like that's amazing but do you have your own style uh, from a directing standpoint that is something you will have to develop you can't just ape other people your whole life it's not going to get you anywhere so you got to figure right. out what what your style is and what you're taking from those inspirations and how you apply them to your own work so yeah I agree with that you don't have to know everything you can be new to something and kind of green I like that all right Nick what do you think any first time First time advice? Um, gosh, I don't know if I'm going to give advice about this because I'm, I'm still kind of stumbling through all of this myself. What, what I, can, I, can, I can share what, what's worked for me. Uh, so I would say the first thing is to just to surround yourself, and Heather's already alluded to this, but to surround yourself with really excellent people. 
uh, really creative people, really thoughtful people, not only talented, because if someone's talented, it doesn't really matter if they don't have a lot of character and integrity. So trying to find people who have both, but finding smart people who are also willing to disagree with you, mm-hmm. uh, I think is incredibly important. So no yes men, uh, people who are willing to have spirited discourse and debate over something, but to do it in a constructive and thoughtful way. I think that's really, really important. And uh, we've managed to, we've managed to do that. And just to go off the point that Kristen was making, not being afraid to make a fool of yourself because you learn through the doing not to overthink it. And I think that's the, the thing about not being afraid to make a fool of yourself, which is so key is nobody cares because they're so, I mean, we're all so self-involved. We're thinking about ourselves anyway. And there's an old saying, when you're 18, you care what everybody thinks about you. When you're 40, you don't care what anybody thinks about you. When you're 60, you realize nobody was thinking about you the whole time. And so I, I think that's really true. So just really going for it. And um, because you don't, you don't learn anything when you win all the time uh, and yep. you know everything. So I think, I think really, uh, just kind of stumbling through it and, and quickly, as, as Antonio has alluded to, pivoting when you have to and, and learning fast, I think is important. So those, those are the lessons that, uh, that I've learned. Good. Well said, very well said. And if anything, I would say, because you're still making your way through this, you're probably the perfect person to offer advice in this situation. Just like we just said, you don't have to know. You just have to know what you're trying or what you kind of want to do and doing that as true to yourself as possible, like Kristen was saying, and keep trying to work within what you know and apply that to the world around you the people you can work with the stories you want to tell how you feel about those various things yeah i think that's super important and really good advice heather do you have any first time advice to offer yeah i just wanted to add for for anybody who's you know truly a first time filmmaker or new to the industry i i think there's something to say about just getting on set you know, just be a PA, just get on set and get experience. You learn so much being on a set. You yep. can't, it's, it's not information you can learn anywhere else besides experiencing it, you know, and it really like, so we've all said it, it comes down to the people around you and that's how you build a community. You know, that's how you build a network. Um, there's so many ways you can connect with people, especially in this, you know, zoom age and, so many Facebook groups and people really are willing to help, you know, and, and to talk to you. So just talk to people and find out the information that you can. I mean, I think back, um, as I said, I've been in film sales and I think back to the day when I kind of went, Hey, I, I, I want to try this production thing. And I didn't really know what that meant yet. And I had just met Kristen and I ended up, you know, PAing on something that she was directing and, then producing what she was directing and look at us now, you know, and it's just, it it took me going like, okay, this is a little scary, but I think I want to try this new thing and just kind of finding my way towards it. And then it helped me figure out how to get the rest of the way, but you can't do it unless you're, you're there doing the work. That's very fair. You got to actually take that first step as it were, you know, the journey's not going to start until you start moving. Yeah. So that's an excellent first time advice for just people. I, I endorse all of that. Um, the only thing I think I would add at the end there is get on set, like, like Heather said, and really any set, any set, good sets, bad sets, you're going to learn either way. And more often than not, you're probably going to learn more from the sets that are terrible than you might learn from the sets that are great. The sets that are great and running smoothly, and there's always problems from your perspective. It might look like it's running smoothly, but there's always problems. It's the sets where really, shit's really going wrong that you're going to learn the most and you're going to be able to see 
especially when you get those opportunities on those good sets where everything's going great. Why it's going great? Because these people are fielding these problems behind the scenes or tackling things in advance or planning for them in ahead of time. That all matters. That's all really a huge part of this whole process. Closing thoughts. What's something people you want people to know about this film, if nothing else, like leaving this podcast? Closing thoughts uh, about the film. I, I, you know, I, in terms, I guess the story, I think we're finally realizing maybe, maybe I'm completely off, but there, there used to be like this thing where you had to have it all figured out. And I think we're coming in, in, in an age where we don't feel like we have to apologize anymore for, for where life takes you. And I think that's something that I've had to learn too. You know, like so many people out there, I thought, you know, A, B, and C, here's the lineup, here's my life, and it's done, you know? And, um, no, I mean, just COVID is an example that's kind of released us from the idea of, of, of having it figured out. And to me, that's something that I really want people to take away is it's okay to be where you are in, in your life and to, you have no control over these events. So anyways, yeah. That's awesome. That's, that's a really good perspective to have uh, and a good way, a good message for people to leave about this project with. I, that's why I think I love that is the true thing. Nobody has it figured out. The governments don't have it figured out. Most people day to day in their lives don't have it figured out. Everybody's making this shit up as they go along and it's okay. It's okay to be stuck in that and realize that as much as everybody's like, you got to know what you're going to do. You got to have your life figured out. Why? <laughs> why do we have to have it figured out? You know, just do the best you can. Just do the best you can. I like that. Um, For me, it's, it's more of an invitation to kind of join us on this journey, you know? Um, I'm sure we'll, we'll throw our handles out at the end here, but it's really just, this has been a, a true labor of love, you know? And we wouldn't be where we are without inviting new people onto this journey with us. And so I just hope that people will follow along and, and follow along with us as we work to get this thing made and until it's out there in the world for everybody to watch on their screens at home. Absolutely, just to add to that, I would say that um, also, uh, we're just trying to tell, like uh, Nick had mentioned before, we're trying to tell um, a good story and the best story possible. And I think that uh, goes for any uh, filmmaker or any artist in general who, I mean, uh, it's very much about, um, telling what's true to you and having that type of passion um, and uh, at the same time not taking yourself too seriously and everything too because I mean at the end of the day we are in a creative industry and right. we need to make sure that we're all having fun on set and have a welcoming type of uh, environment and everything too I mean it uh, of course goes for everybody differently and whatnot too but mm -hmm. I think it's really about um um shining light on the darkness and really um, uh, telling your story. I mean, um, me uh, uh, personally, I mean, movies were always a way for me to um, escape and uh, kind of uh, see what 
perspective is like from another person's uh, perspective in life and whatnot too. I mean, uh, being someone who didn't uh, grow up with a lot of money in uh, the family and whatnot too, uh, going to the movies was a vacation and whatnot too, because right. you're able to really um, look into someone's life and whatnot too. And uh, I mean, I, I love um, uh, what uh, James Baldwin said in the creative process. Uh, I'm just going to give a little quote here. Uh, the precise role of the artist then is to illuminate that darkness, blaze roads through that vast forest so that we will not in all our doing lose sight of its purpose, which is after all to make the world a more human dwelling place. Nice. Love it. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. And I think we can all interpret that in our own way. No, absolutely. But that's like, that's a great quote. And that's like a great thing to try to leave people with is really think about that literally all of the work that's going to go into this and the work that's already gone into this in general. Uh, is there anything that you each would like the listening people out there to know about all of you as individuals? Anything you want them to know before, before we close out? Or I like long walks on the beach. Um, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was too funny. <laughs> no, it was perfect. That was good. <laughs> I, I think that um, uh, to know about all of us is that uh, we're a diverse team, we're uh, young, we're energetic, uh, we're all um, fairly new to um, the uh, feature world. We all uh, have a vast amount of experience just in uh, film and in um, television and video in general and stuff too. But I mean, we're all on this journey together too. And as Heather mentioned, I mean, that's ideally why we're here on this podcast with uh, someone as awesome as you scott is to uh join people to uh find people to join our journey too and if you've been listening to this podcast or uh if you um uh even can remember one of our names at the end of the day too i mean it, it you're you are joining us on this journey and know that uh, you're a part of this mm -hmm. and um it'll be exciting to uh for you all to actually watch the film and uh see it from that perspective having listened to us today and scott thank you again for uh, your time and stuff too and uh, i listened to a few of your <laughs> podcasts before uh this and stuff too and I, I really um enjoy your candor and i think you have a good perspective to the film industry and uh, people need this especially in the times that we're living in too i mean uh to be able to dissect films and uh talk about um the creative stuff that we all love is uh breath of fresh air and uh i don't get that too often so thank you again for the opportunity today scott really appreciate oh i i appreciate that honestly i'm glad to have all of you on here to talk about this in general just because i mean i've been hearing about it for a while so i've been excited to just have you on and talk about it. And uh, this is something I've been interested in doing with the podcast is I did want to start to bring in and highlight different people or teams as they're working as part of this whole thing we love to do making movies. And like you said, it's, it's all about the, the reasons, uh, you know, why we enjoy movies, you know, part of the thing I say in my disclaimer, you've, as you've heard is like, plenty of people want to tear movies down and talk about why they suck or what was wrong with them. And nobody really stops to think about the work that went into that movie even if it wasn't a success or it wasn't amazing there's still great moments in some of those movies even if it's like 10 seconds that was amazing and the rest of the movie wasn't still there's something there to like kind of cherish and talk about and hold up you know and that's that's why i want to do this and that's why I like i was really excited to talk to you guys about this project is there a way before we drop the tags uh leading into the tags a good transition here is there a way for people to support the film or help in the final rounds of funding at all? And if so, how? And if not, is there anything people could do to help spread the word or help get the wheels moving? 
Well, if you got a few million bucks, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, you heard it here. If you've got a lot of money to throw down and uh, you can contact Heather and Antonio and they can probably work something out with you. I mean, absolutely. We're obviously always looking for, you know, legit accredited investors. So if you do fall in that and you want to support us, please do reach out. Um, we are currently in the process of looking at some new ways that would help us raise some financing for this. So I would say connect with us, um, sign up on our website, follow us on social media, and we'll always be posting there of new ways that people can get involved. But, you know, so much of the filmmaking process is, is word of mouth and is just talking about it. So if any of this resonated with you, you know, share it with people. Mm -hmm. share our profiles, share our websites. You know, we're very, it's very out there how to get a hold of us um, on all of our platforms. So if you know, you know, if this sparks something in you, just reach out, even if you don't, you know, have anything to offer us, we want to know that it resonated with you, you know, so just, just be in touch. And, and even if it's just to say hi, and, and we would love to hear from you. Perfect segue. What, where can people follow you, find the project, etc.? uh websites tags Website. pluggables instagram facebook etc absolutely uh sunnyboythefilm.com s-o-n-n-y sunnyboythefilm.com and facebook twitter and instagram handles at sunnyboythefilm fair enough yes very easy we have you know a contact box on the website if you want to drop us a line sunnyboythefilm at gmail.com we're very consistent so <laughs> pretty much anywhere you want to look us up that well you can find us perfect well there you have it do any of you uh want to drop any personal tags or pluggables any personal handles or anything like that in case people want to follow you individually you, you don't can, have to no pressure you can find us all through those accounts you can find on our website we have our bios everything's up there perfect in that case there you have it uh any final thoughts from anybody before i completely wrap us out of this thing just another thank big thank you. This has been really incredible. We really appreciate your time. And, and as Antonio said, your podcast is a lot of fun. So we're really excited to be here. Oh, yeah, thank Glad you. you're all interested. Appreciate it. Thank really you, Scott. Really, really appreciate you your time and uh, appreciate all of your listeners too. Thank absolutely. you for listening, everybody. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Uh, well, that has been our production team from Sunny Boy. Heather Brawley, Antonio uh, Ayala. I want to make sure I say that right. Did I get that right? Okay. And then Perfect. we got Nick Macaron. Did I say that right? Perfect. And Kristen Hansen, our Sunny Boy production team. You can check them out at sunnyboythefilm.com and get all their other information. Thanks for stopping by. This has been Scott's Movie Pod until I think of a better name, which I'm probably not going to do. Bye! All right. Thank you very much for stopping by and listening to Scott's Movie Pod until I think of a better name, which I may never do. Special thanks to my guests for coming on the show and all of you for listening. Original podcast music by Weston Lee Ball. You can find them at lava underscore submersible on Instagram and Weston Lee Ball on Facebook. And if you like the podcast, do me a favor and just rate and review. Let me know what you think. Leave a comment and uh, maybe I'll read it during the show. Thanks again and I'll catch you next time.